Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Well, my name is Aaron. I'm the youth director here at New Day Community Church, um, at least until the end of the May, when, um, of May, the May, when Lindsay Sear will be taking over the youth group. Um, yeah, that's exciting. And also, I'm on the, the speaking team here at New Day. We have a, a team of pastoral staff and lay leaders who weekly rotate um, speaking responsibilities. So this is my week, and I'm honored and privileged and excited to kick off this series called Biblical Heroes and Villains, where we're looking at these stories of the Bible that captivate us, these heroes and villains of the Bible. Um, but let me start by giving you a little update on my family, uh, Adrian and I um, are having a baby soon, September. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, we recently found out that we're having a baby boy, which we're happy about. Um, and we are already beginning to see the personality of this little fella. He likes to move around a lot. He's very energetic. Um, during our ultrasound this week, um, the technician was having a hard time getting images of the little guy because he was moving around so much. This may or may not have had something to do with the fact that my wife had a little bit of caffeine before going into the ultrasound, which is, I know is a big no-no, but we had heard that if the baby falls asleep during the ultrasound, it might cross its legs, and then you're not going to know the gender. And my wife really wanted to know the gender, so she had a little glass of Coke before going in, and that got that baby going, let me tell you. He was moving a lot. We're going to have a handful, I think, but I'm excited about it. Um, but beneath all that excitement is a little bit of fear. That's normal, right? As a new parent, a little bit scared of, am I going to be able to be a good dad? Um, are we going to be able to be good parents? Will I know what to say with the hard questions? Will I be able to wake up at all hours of the night and early morning with a crying baby? Will I be able to resist the uncontrollable urge to tell dad jokes? I already do that, so it's not a big worry of mine. But there is also another fear that I've been thinking about lately. Um, and that is, maybe it's less of a fear and more of just a deep passion within me. And I really want um, to train my young boy on how to follow Jesus well. Um, to be a faithful follower of Christ. But in today's world, being a Jesus follower is becoming more and more complicated, right? Becoming, becoming more and more difficult. It doesn't take a sociologist, it doesn't take a researcher to understand that our culture is shifting pretty dramatically and pretty quickly. Our footing beneath us is beginning to shift. And, it's getting, and I don't think anyone would argue that it's getting more complicated, more difficult to be a Christian. You know, right is being portrayed as wrong, wrong is being portrayed as right. Um, there's this new rising American ethic, maybe it's not so new, but the, that there is no absolute truth, that truth is what you make it, you know, do you, be you, do what makes you happy. My happiness is the center of my world and my spiritual life. So we're, we're living in an exceedingly post-Christian world. The attitudes towards Christianity and the church are rapidly changing. There's this book by David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons, it's called Good Faith, and it recently came out. Uh, David Kinnaman is the president of the Barna Group, which does extensive research on the intersection of faith and culture. 
And basically, they surveyed how Americans would describe the church in America. And two words that people used to describe the church really leapt from the data. And those two words are irrelevant and, and extreme. The two words are irrelevant and extreme that are being more and more used to describe the church today. Here's a little bit of the data. I apologize that the, the type is small. I'll fix it for when I'm in Vandalia. But 64% of Americans believe it's extreme for people to demonstrate outside an organization that they consider to be immoral. 51% believe it's extreme to protest government policies that conflict with their religion. 52% believe it's extreme to believe that sexual relationships between people of the same sex are morally wrong. 60% believe that it, it, that it is extreme to attempt to convert, convert others to your faith. 42% believe that people of faith are part of the problem today in America. It's really quiet in here now. <laughs> they also found that people are increasingly not only indifferent to Scripture, but hostile toward Scripture. The data also revealed that Americans are increasingly identifying themselves as the center of their spirituality. My happiness is the most important component to my spirituality. You know, I am my own judge and jury. I decide what is right and wrong. I decide what makes me happy, and I don't want to hear anyone else question that. Maybe some of you are thinking now, wow, that's really heavy. And that sermon took a very quick turn. <laughs> One moment you're talking about your sweet, cuddly, cute baby that's on the way, and now you're talking about the crumbling American culture. And you're using your child in a sermon illustration. He's not even born yet, so he's going to have an amazing life. It's going to be great. Amen. Amen. Today we're kicking off our series, Heroes and Villains, talking about the heroes and villains of the Bible. And today I want to look at this character, Daniel. Not Daniel, my brother-in-law, who also is a hero. He's a ninja hero. He's not a hero of the Bible. But I, the reason why I chose Daniel is I, I believe that he serves as a guide to being faithful in a changing world. To be faithful in a world that is increasingly antagonistic to our faith. And he teaches us how to be intentional in the tension of a changing culture. And when we think of Daniel, what do we often think of? Lion's Den. Boom. Thank you, youth group. Think of that, right? Maybe we think of Sunday school lessons. Maybe we think of flannel graph. Anyone remember flannel graph? Yes. My mom does. Flannel graph was the best. Um, I'll tell you guys later. <laughs> you guys, no, flannel graph was the best. It was basically this board of, of material that you'd stick Bible characters on this board and make different scenes. And what I loved about flannel graph was, you know, my mom was this, you know, big time Sunday school teacher, and she would set up the flannel graph the night before, Saturday night. She'd set the scene, make it all perfect. Maybe it's Jesus walking on water. I'd wait till she leaves the room. Then I would grab the giraffe and I'd make him drowning in the ocean. Or I'd put <laughs> Jesus riding a lion on the ocean. And it was the best. I just loved it. But Daniel in the lion's den, right? It's an important story. We often use it to, to talk about we need to stand up for what we believe. We need to stand up um, for God, even in the face of difficult circumstances, even in the face of a lion's den, physical danger. 
We talk about this need to raise up a generation of Daniels, people that are unshakable in their faith, and that's good. That is really valid. I think the Sunday School is talking about that today. Um, but, but what I think we often tend to do is, is forget to set the scene of the book of Daniel, to talk about the years leading up to Daniel's lion's den moment. And the reality is we wouldn't have the Daniel of the lion's den without the Daniel of Babylon. The book of Daniel takes place in this period of exile for the Israelites. Israel had just been defeated by this world power, uh, Babylon, and God's people had, had just been defeated. The Babylonians had, had destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They had plundered the temple of God. They took much of the treasure out of the temple of God and took it to the house of their own pagan god. And they took um, many of the Israelites back to Babylon where they would live in exile. And the king of Babylon at that time, King Nebuchadnezzar, he came up with this brilliant idea that he would take the most handsome, smart, influential young men, um, young Israelite men, and would bring them back to the king's palace to indoctrinate them in the way of Babylonian life, to basically brainwash them. And they're basically going to teach them, educate them the ways of Babylon, the literature, the language, the culture, the pagan religion. And Daniel, who was just probably a teenager at the time, was one of these young Israelites. And suddenly Daniel and all the people of God were thrown into a society where everything was rapidly changing. Everything was completely different. Their, uh, Daniel's religious customs, his traditions, and his God were no longer welcome. Now, I don't want to say that I'm not trying to say that America is in any way like as extreme as Babylon, but we can begin to see some of the parallels. So today we're going to look at the first chapter of Daniel. We're going to pick out five lessons that Daniel can teach us about living faithful in a changing world. And what I think we're going to find is that Daniel was able to walk this tightrope of blending in with the culture, assimilating partially to the culture, but not backing down from what he believes and actually influencing the culture and not compromising his faith. Does this sound good? It does. Awesome. I, again, I apologize by the, about the small font, but we're in Daniel chapter 1. We're going to start um, at the beginning here. It says verse 3, but it really means verse 1. <laughs> in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These articles he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical de defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And Azariah, Abednego. 
So here we see that, that Nebuchadnezzar is, is clearly trying to influence these young men, trying to brainwash these young men. He's teaching them the, the culture of Babylon and trying to get them to, to, to forget their old way of life, to forget their God. And I found this interesting. Some of the subjects that Daniel would likely have been taught during this time included astrology, the study of animal entrails, sacrifice incantation, exorcism, and other forms of magic and mysticism. And we're worried about evolution being taught in public schools. Um, Daniel, and friend, Daniel and his friends are also given new names. And these names are after pagan gods. Daniel's given the name Belteshazzar, which is after the god of, of Nebuchadnezzar. In our day, that might be something like the youth, youth group being renamed Buddha or Muhammad. It's kind of quiet. But what I find interesting here is that there is no mention of Daniel really resisting this. It doesn't mention him trying to escape. It doesn't mention him protesting or putting up a fight. He didn't immediately see himself as a culture warrior. There's actually a level of compromise here, not in a bad way. Daniel is basically telling um, Nebuchadnezzar this. You can teach me what you want to teach me, but I know what I believe. You can call me whatever you want to call me, but you're not going to change who I am. You're not going to change my identity. Daniel wasn't offended by Babylon being Babylon. He wasn't upset that a pagan culture would give him a pagan name. In the same way, maybe today, when we're mischaracterized, when we're labeled, maybe we shouldn't be offended. Maybe when someone tells me that my faith is irrelevant and extreme, maybe I shouldn't be offended, but maybe I should show them a better way, show them the opposite, show them through my words, through the way I live my life, through the way I love, that that's not the case. It's making sense? Daniel wasn't offended by Babylon teaching its language, its literature, its customs, its paganism. He was actually eager to learn. Um, in fact, it says later in the chapter that God gave knowledge and understanding to Daniel. And the king found him to be ten times wiser than any of the magicians and enchanters in the kingdom. So what we find here is that Daniel is embracing his education. Daniel is engaging with the culture but he's letting God shape his understanding. He's going to God for wisdom, for understanding, and he's redeeming his education. He's redeeming the culture. He's bringing God into his education, into his school. Making sense? So from the first few verses here, I think there's a couple lessons to learn. Number one, don't be offended by Babylon being Babylon, by the world being the world. Lesson number two, don't be afraid to be close to culture. Daniel was close enough to the Babylonian culture to be an influence. Daniel was close enough to the Babylonian culture to be dangerous. And I think that you could argue that Daniel never would have been able to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. He never would have had his lion's den moment without engaging with the culture, without earning the respect and influence in his new world. It's quiet. Daniel chapter 1, continuing verse 8 through 16. Let's read this. It's very small. You can get your Bibles out. 
But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why, why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our, our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Already thinking that Daniel was a little extreme. He was a teenager and he requested vegetables and water. I've never met a teenager like that before. Um, so we see that Daniel in some ways is blending in with the culture. But, he, but what I like about Daniel is, is that he knew when to stand up. He knew how to pick his battles. And he always did so in an honoring way. He didn't want to eat the food from the king's table, probably for a number of reasons. Um, number one, the food probably wasn't kosher. It was against the, the law of that day, Jewish law. It was li likely sacrificed to the gods. This food was sacrificed to the, the idols. And he didn't want to in any way associate himself with that. But I think Daniel also realized that this was Babylon's way of trying to bribe him. Basically saying, here's all this amazing food. Here's this great wine. Isn't your life better? Isn't life as ba a Babylonian better? Forget your old, tired, difficult life as a follower of God, as an Israelite, and embrace your new identity on Team uh, Babylon. But Daniel sees right through this, right? And he takes a stand because this is a compromise that he cannot make. Right. It goes against, um, the, the, against God's law. But notice that even in taking a stand, Daniel wasn't offended. He wasn't angry. He wasn't demanding. He actually posed all this as a request. He said, let me eat vegetables and drink water and let me prove to you that by being faithful to God, I will be rewarded. And he let God do the talking and let God show um, that faithfulness to, to, to his way is a better way. So lesson number three is to pick your battles, but be honoring, even in disagreement, and let God fight your battles for you. Right? Let God show them a better way. So we live in a world that escalates, or arguments escalate quickly, right? We all have friends on Facebook who like to post the controversial article or video for the purpose of, of course, starting a civil discussion. And the civil discussion quickly elevates to maybe a shouting match in all caps and name calling and stuff. I feel like today there's not a lot of room for civil discourse or peaceful discussion. Look no further than the presidential election today to see that there's not a lot of room for peaceful disagreement. But Daniel shows us a better way, right? He is honoring and respectful, but he's firm in his beliefs. This is a rare trait in today's world, right? I'm going to return to this research from the Barna Group, and this is sobering. 
It shows a, gr- a growing number of young Christians, millennials, who feel like they don't have a voice in culture today. The research says that 46% of Christian millennials in America feel silenced. 47% say that they are afraid to speak up. So there, there are those people. Then on the other side, there's those that are, who are more than happy to speak up very loudly and angrily, possibly disrespectfully. And they think that's what it means to have the spirit of Daniel, to stand up for what you believe, is to get angry and riled up. So I think that especially in this next generation, my generation, millennials, you guys know your generation yet? What's it called? We don't know. This generation here, whatever's next. I think it's going to be incredibly important to train them to be able to defend their faith, but to do so with grace and humility. That's hard to do. Is this good so far? All right, let's continue um, in verses 17 through 20. To these four young men, God gave a knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by, by the king to bring them into his service, the chief of, official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. So here we see that Daniel, he turned to God to shape his education, to, to, for, for wisdom, for understanding. You know, Daniel is being taught a lot of new information here, right? Some of it may be good, a lot of it probably bad, contrary to, to God's law. But we see that, God, or that Daniel turns to God for help. In Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6, it says that Daniel got on his knees and prayed three times a day during this time. He was cultivating a deep, real, genuine relationship with God. He was hearing his voice, and he was turning to him for understanding and for wisdom. And by being faithful, by pursuing God, by pursuing wisdom, God gave Daniel and his friends favor, right? And influence in the culture. So what I see is lesson number four, lesson number four for for being able to um, navigate this being a Christian in a changing world, lesson number four would be to turn to God for wisdom. This is incredibly difficult in a world where we are constantly being presented with ideas, with messages, with stories that are contrary to Scripture, that are contrary to the way of Jesus. And I think what I've come to, to realize, and I don't think it's a truth bomb for any of you, but I'm not going to be able to protect my son from messages that are against Scripture. I'm not, right? I'm not going to be able to protect my son from having access to pornography. It's everywhere. I'm not going to be able to be able to protect my son from humanism, secularism, materialism, any other ism. Those isms will get you. But what I can do is I can teach my son how to view his education, view his movies, listen to his music through the lens of Scripture, and teach him how to turn to God to shape that. Where was I? In a world that that is antagonistic of what we believe, it is more important than ever to have a real, deep, genuine relationship with God. I've been the youth pastor here at New Day for a couple years now, and one of my biggest areas of focus has been 
um, to, to teach the young people to have a real relationship with God now, to be able to hear his voice and recognize his voice now, to be obedient to his commands now, to know and experience his love now. Because when they go off to college, when they go off to work, suddenly they're thrown into this world where maybe not everyone believes what they believe. Maybe they want to throw them off track. And you know what? The reality is, is that's the case already for many of them. So this points to the, the importance of a genuine relationship with God and the importance of deeply understanding and loving God's word. Good? Yeah. I got to keep moving. In chapter 2 of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar was having these dreams. And these dreams were keeping him up at night. So he called for all the magicians and astrologers and sorcerers to come and say, hey, interpret this dream for me. And if you don't, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to chop you up into pieces, and I'm going to turn your houses into rubble. That's what I'm going to do. Of course, they can't interpret the dream. So Nebuchadnezzar orders Daniel and Daniel's friends to come and says, Daniel, you need to kill these guys. They couldn't interpret my dream. Daniel says, no, uh-uh. He says, I can interpret this dream. My God can interpret this dream. And what I find amazing about Daniel is that he is willing to put his life and his reputation on the line for sorcerers, magicians, and astrologers. They were the people that were against everything he believed in. But he stepped in and he told the king, no, don't execute them. My God can interpret the dream. What love, what compassion that Daniel had. It makes me think, would, would we put our reputations on the line for people different than us? Would I put my reputation on the line for um, an atheist or a Democrat or a Republican, <laughs> depending on what side of the aisle you land on? Daniel did. He showed us that way. And he also, Daniel interpreted a dream and spoke truth to an evil king, to a wicked king. Daniel was helping the people that were supposed to be the enemy. These people had destroyed Jerusalem. They had ransacked the temple. They had carted them off to Babylon to live in exile. They had tried to indoctrinate them. Daniel was committed, though, to living faithfully, to, to wanting to create a good life, even in a hostile land. He was committed, this is important, he was, good to, he was committed to, to the good of not only him and his friends, but to the entire kingdom, the entire culture. And the prophet Jeremiah was speaking to this at the time. He was urging the Jewish exiles to do just that. You know, Jeremiah received this word from the Lord for a people who had their city destroyed, for a people that were carted off to a foreign land and to, to go into exile. And this is what the prophet Jeremiah had to say to those people. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This was the message that God was giving to a people in exile. 
my reaction would be, why didn't God tell them to fight back? Why didn't he tell them to become culture warriors, to take a stand against this evil kingdom? Now, the people of Israel had earned this. They had sinned, and they found themselves in this place of exile. But the message from the Lord to his people was to, to live hardworking, faithful lives in a hostile land and to seek the welfare, the well-being of the city, of the kingdom. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So often we see it against, as, as the culture as the enemy. We see the culture as the enemy. We see it as us versus them. <coughs> Maybe them is us. Maybe we are the culture. Maybe we are called to speak truth into the culture. Maybe we are called to redeem the culture. Maybe we are called to bring the kingdom of God to our cities, to our kingdoms. This is the message of Daniel. So lesson number five is to seek the good of your culture, the good of your city, the good of your neighborhood. And those of you who've heard me speak before, you know I love to give real practical examples. But this week I'm not going to do that. <laughs> because I'm still figuring this thing out, as we all are. What does it mean to follow Jesus well in a changing world? But I hope what this message does for you today is that it causes you to think deeply. That it causes you to go home with your families and your friends and to pray and to, to discuss what does it mean to embrace the culture, to speak truth into the culture, to influence the culture, to change our cities and our neighborhoods. But I hope this message, you know, will, will teach us, you know, what does it mean to live this out in my school, in my workplace, in my family, in my neighborhood? You know, I invite you to join me, you know, as I'm leading my family to follow Jesus in a culture that is becoming more and more antagonistic to the way of Jesus. I invite you to come and, and surround our young people and show them and encourage them to live faithful lives in a new world. What does it mean for us as a community to come together, to surround one another, to encourage one another um, in the way of following Jesus? Become, because it's becoming more and more complicated today. Things are becoming more and more um, extreme, polar opposite arguments, and where does, where does our Christian voice come into play? I believe that the Christian voice is the hope of the world, the, ch the church is the hope of the world, that the message we have has the power to change the culture. Why would we hide that? Why would we stay here in our churches and be comfortable and sing our songs and talk to one another, encourage one another, without trying to get into the culture and influence it and tell them about the hope that we have so, you know, Daniel, he didn't go it alone. He had Rad, Shaq, and Benny, right? He had a community of people around him, small, that were standing with him, that were helping him figure out what does it mean to follow God in this new world. So that's my encouragement to you as a community. What does it mean to come together and figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus together? Would you stand with me? I want to close in prayer and I want to pray that there would be a spirit of Daniel in our hearts, that we would have this desire to follow Jesus well, 
to share his message with a, a world that desperately needs it. Would you pray with me? Father God, I'm thankful that you're here. Your Holy Spirit is here. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd stir our hearts, that you'd breathe on our hearts right now, that you'd fill us with hope, that you'd fill us with this, this sense that we know that the gospel is what this world needs. Pray that you'd teach us, that you'd instruct us, that you'd guide us on how to live differently and to show people that following Jesus is the way. Pray that you'd give us all a spirit of Daniel that knows how to walk this tightrope of, of embracing the culture but not being shaped by the culture, but influencing those around us with the message and the power and the hope and the love and the joy that it is to follow Jesus. Pray for our young people that you would light a fire in them to lead the way in this next generation. We don't know what it's going to look like. There's a lot of unknowns, but God, you are not surprised by this. You are still in control. We can trust you. We trust you with our young people. We trust you with our old people. We trust you with our middle-aged people. God, that you would lead and guide us. In your name we pray. Amen.